Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of What is a Podcast, the podcast that has been missing in action for a couple weeks now. I don't know exactly how long it's been, but it's been missing in action and I kind of feel bad, I kind of don't. Um, I've been taking a break from the whole podcast, YouTube video type of deal. I haven't been making a whole lot of content outside of Twitter and Instagram videos, um, but it's mostly because of real life stuff. It's not that um, I felt like the space was toxic or that I was burnt out from making content or anything like that. There's nothing to worry about on that front. It's just my real actual life has had a lot of moving pieces. Things have been moving and shaking. And um, if they move and shake the way I want them to move and shake, we should be all good soon. I don't know how my schedule is going to look in terms of making videos and making content just because I'm looking at being more active more late at night. So I'd have to do shit probably in the morning and I don't know exactly how everything's going to work, but we'll see. We'll see. But things are looking up for little old me, so that's good. Um, but yeah, I've been taking a break, and it's been oddly fine. Like, um, I felt like in the beginning of taking a break, I was like trying not to take a break at first. Like, I was busy with a bunch of things, and I was trying to squeeze in a video or trying to do a podcast, but a podcast is going to take like an hour of my time, so it's hard to squeeze something like that in. Um, YouTube videos are a little bit quicker for me. I could probably do a video in less than an hour, but a podcast is a little bit longer experience for everyone involved. So um, that takes more, more time out of my day, but I just couldn't. So the beginning of my break was just trying to fit in content creation as a hobby where it didn't fit in. And then I decided, fuck it. We're going to take a full-blown break. We're just going to, you know, break it off. We're going to not worry about putting out a podcast. We're not worrying about putting out YouTube videos. We're not worrying about that right now. We just focus on the real-life stuff. And that was, you know, probably the best decision I could have made. And I'm sorry for leaving people hanging. I know that I'm not famous or popular, but I could be one day and I do know that people do listen and do enjoy so I'm sorry for leaving you hanging but I'm gonna pick you up for at least this week um I'm not sure how it's gonna be in the immediate future but I didn't forget about you I didn't quit doing anything I just have been busy but anyway enough about taking breaks from podcasts or whatever I also had to take a break from caffeine. We're getting into real life hard hitting shit. And I went to the doctor a while ago, like a week and a half ago. I went to the doctor just for like a regular ass checkup. And when you go to the doctor and you get a checkup and like nothing's wrong with you, it almost feels like it's useless, right? (laughs) Like, If I go to the doctor and I get confirmation that nothing's wrong with me, then I didn't really need to go to the doctor, right? But anyway, when I went to the doctor, the only thing that the doctor told me to um, change is less caffeine in my my diet. 
and I didn't grow up like addicted to caffeine. Like I feel like in terms of my generation, like people started drinking like coffee and caffeinated beverages when they're teens. I didn't really start drinking caffeinated beverages until I was like 20 years old. So I was kind of late on that and I never felt like dependent on caffeine to like give me energy. I never felt like I needed caffeine to get me going in the day. But I did end up drinking caffeinated drinks, right? When I was in college, I started drinking tea. I started drinking yerba mate. Um, I don't drink coffee still. I don't like the taste of coffee, but I started drinking a lot of shit with caffeine in it. And in my YouTube channel, if you are unfamiliar, which you probably are because I have almost 200. I think I'm almost at the 200 mark in terms of subscribers with YouTube, which is fun and crazy. But um, I do a lot of like reviews of drinks and a lot of those drinks have caffeine. Like there are a lot of energy drinks and like natural hybrid whatever drinks that have quote unquote naturally occurring caffeine in them. So I do drink a considerable amount of caffeine in my in my life. And my doctor told me to like cut it down. So I've been cutting it down pretty significantly. Um I used to drink like yerba mate in the morning and I cut that out. I replaced it with sugar free Gatorade, which is not good. Like Gatorade definitely needs the sugar content but it's it's been what I've been doing for the past week and a half um and I've felt that and it works okay but I've been getting like these splitting fucking headaches and I knew that caffeine headaches were a thing I knew that when people like cut off caffeine they get headaches and they go through like withdrawal symptoms or whatever but I had no idea how bad that it was and for me like I get migraines like I'm a person who has migraines from time to time and the headaches that I have gotten are like almost migraine level it's pretty bad and if this is what I get from like cutting off caffeine I'm really glad I don't do any type of drugs like I can't imagine what it's like trying to quit crack if caffeine is like debilitating me this much like crack or meth or anything like that is probably like a nightmare to get rid of so my heart goes out to anyone who's doing that it's weird that like when I got off of caffeine my first thought was crack but that's where my mind went but yeah really really tough going in terms of like the caffeine content I have had a little caffeine in the form of tea but not a lot for the past week and a half. So it's basically back to my old self. Like I didn't really drink caffeine in high school or middle school or anything like that outside of like Coca-Cola or something. But even then I was more of a Sprite guy growing up, but we don't need to get into that. Um, but anyway, we have some things to talk about. Some things that happened in the world on the internet things that happen that we need to discuss and things that need more clarification the first thing i want to talk about is this saturday night live shane gillis story which i'm sure a lot of you have heard by now if you don't know saturday night live the popular tv show that hired a couple new people that hired three people one of them his name is bowen yang and he was like the first Asian person, the first like Asian cast member 
in Saturday Night Live's 45-year history, which is a milestone and also, like, it took you 45 years to hire an Asian person? Like, come the fuck on. But that's good. Good for Bo and Yang. They hired someone else whose name unfortunately escapes me. I'm going to try and look it up while I'm talking. Um, But they also hired this guy named Shane Gillis. And Shane Gillis is a comedian from, like, um, central Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, something like that. And he has a podcast, much like this podcast, or he had a podcast. I don't know if he um, still has a podcast or if this podcast is going to be going down the drain since he got busted doing this shit. Um, But anyway, Shane Gillis was talking about his um, experience in Chinatown on his podcast. And he basically was extremely racist to to Asian people and Chinese people in particular. And Bowen Yang, I'm pretty sure, is Chinese. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure he is Chinese. And the other cast member is Chloe Feynman, by the way. Um, and Shane Gillis was basically on his podcast, recorded a video, basically being racist to Chinese people for five minutes straight. And this surfaced like immediately after... Um, Netflix, or I'm sorry, not Netflix, Saturday Night Live announced the decision that Shane Gillis was hired. Basically, like, an hour after that decision was announced, like, people dug up, like, Shane Gillis racist shit. And it was apparently pretty easy. I don't know exactly who um started the whole Shane Gillis is a bad person train. I don't know how popular Shane Gillis is in the comedy scene or how many people who are famous actually know who Shane Gillis is as an actual person um and I'm not sure how these things got unearthed but it seemed to be just like a little google search that got him out the paint and I just want to say like I have a podcast I could very easily say racist shit I'm not racist I would never say racist shit on purpose or anything. If I say anything bad, it's probably because I'm just an idiot and I didn't know that it was bad. But you just, you have to know, right? Like, if you're doing a podcast, you have to know, like, when you're putting yourself out there to the world, (laughs) that you can't really be out here saying racist shit. Like, even if you are racist, this is what baffles me about, like, racism sometimes like even if you are racist like we know that racism is bad like you learn that shit in school right I mean I grew up I was born and raised in California and we learned that racism is bad I don't know what the school system like is in other states but we grew up like saying that racism is bad so you have to know that even if you do think these things and I don't encourage you to think these things but even if you do why the fuck are you saying that on a podcast that's going to be recorded and archived and shit? And the second thing about this whole thing is that Shane Gillis, he got on Twitter and he said, I take risk. Most of my comedy has been bad in the 10 years I've been doing comedy. I take risk. This Asians being racist to Asians joke was a risk. And he like kind of barely apologized And people have said this before already, but being racist isn't necessarily taking a risk, especially 
if you're a white dude, um, presumably a straight white dude, um, just because like being racist has always like kind of existed in America, right? And you're saying shit that I grew up around a lot of Asian people and you're saying shit that Asian people have already heard before. You're not doing anything new. I listened to the Shane Gillis video and he wasn't like trying to make anything satire that I could have said or that I could see or hear anyway. Um, maybe it was out of context and people like cut out the clips that gave the clip context, but it doesn't seem to be the case um, because no one has provided a full context clip of Shane Gillis potentially not being racist. But um, basically, if you're going to be racist towards Asian people or anything, that's not a risk. That's just you being an asshole. That's you just being racist. And it wasn't even like anything special. It was like basic cookie cutter racist comments. And then he got fired from SNL a few days after that. And he basically said like, I was always a mad TV guy anyway. Like, I was funny enough for SNL. That can't be taken away. But it did get taken away. Um, and then it came out, I think yesterday, at time of recording, September 18th, 2019, that Shane Gillis was essentially like an affirmative action hire. Like, he didn't have to go through as many hoops as some other cast members did because they wanted to appeal to more conservative people. They didn't want SNL to be entirely liberally biased which is like this whole thing is crazy to me like they hired someone presumed to be more conservative does that mean that during snl's next season they would have him like making jokes about liberals like making fun of liberals is that what they were going to do with shane gillis um because apparently when he auditioned he didn't have to do any like impressions which SNL is known for he just did like his stand-up routine and I'm not I'm not familiar with Shane Gillis stand-up so I can't tell you if he's a good comedian or not um but what it seems like is if you're trying to appeal to conservative people that means that the jokes that you'd have Shane Gillis telling would be at the expense of the Democrats and the liberals right and in order to do that you hired a guy who has been on the record as racist. He's also on the record as being a bad comedian. <laughs> like, um, he said in his first like apology that I've done 10 years of comedy and most of it is bad. That means that he only got good if he considers himself good. He only got good like a couple years ago at best. So he's also on the record of being a bad comedian. But he basically that I that's the only way I can see Shane Gillis working at SNL if that was the plan that's been reported that they wanted to appeal to a conservative fan base you have to like make jokes like defending Trump right or like defending Republicans and conservatives and we also don't exactly know if Shane Gillis like voted for Trump or not I don't know who that dude voted for he could have been a Gary Johnson guy for all I know but it's just ridiculous to me like his responses and his apologies were just absolutely ridiculous it was not a sincere apology at all you can go to Shane Gillis's Twitter and probably still find him and I'm sorry about any chair creaking you might hear right now um but anyway
Shane Gillis out at SNL. He's, as far as I can tell, not a good person. And he probably isn't going to be like anywhere big as a comic like anytime soon. I can't imagine him doing like a Comedy Central thing or uh, like a Jimmy Fallon set or a Netflix thing. I can't imagine that happening anytime soon after this scandal, um, which sucks to suck. But that's what happens when you say racist shit. And this whole Shane Gillis thing also like has brought about like a cancel culture debate again. And I have been on the side of we need to make cancel culture a case by case basis. Um, but what I'm, I don't think I've articulated particularly clearly is that people get canceled on Twitter and that's not the same thing as getting canceled in real life. Like people get canceled on Twitter and people will drag them through the mud on Twitter. That doesn't mean that their career is necessarily over. It doesn't mean that they're not getting any work again or anything like that. That's not what that means necessarily. It can be for some people, but real life cancellation and Twitter or internet cancellation are two very, very different things. I want to make that clear. But I think my case on cancel culture with Shane Gillis, with anyone who has the potential to be canceled, it's still relatively the same on this. Like Shane Gillis, when he said these racist comments about Asian people, he said them like less than a year ago. He said them in 2018. This wasn't very long ago. So it's likely that he hasn't changed that much in that short of time. Like when I think cancel culture is, you know, not productive, like the conversation around canceling a person is not productive is when you go back like 10 years in the past you dig up something old that something someone said as a teenager and you use it against them for the rest of their lives or if it's one person who you would like under any other circumstance but they said one thing that you disagree with and now they're disowned from you forever like that's the type of shit that I'm not necessarily down with all the time but again it depends on what's being said how they said it how long ago it's been said like, does the person have a history of changed behavior? Those type of things. Um, and I think that in Shane Gillis's case, like, he doesn't seem to be very apologetic. He seems to think that being racist is edgy when it's not being edgy. It's being a jerk. Um, he seems to think that way um, from what I can tell. Um, he didn't say it that long ago. He doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon he probably can incorporate this into his stand-up routine and i'm sure he has a fan base that's gonna rally behind him um and maybe go out to his stand-up gigs wherever he may do stand-up so i'm not feeling too bad for shangulus and i think that in this case the cancel culture was fine it it, it's not that big of a deal to cancel Shane Gillis because he, in my eyes, is worthy of being canceled, at least on the internet. He might not be canceled in real life. We don't know that yet. Um, but like when you go back to like someone who was a teenager who said some dumb shit, like, I'm not too mad at that. Like, I I'm not mad at you saying dumb shit as a teenager as much as grown adults saying dumb shit and not apologizing for it. So that's my stance on that. But 
I do think that like when it comes to cancel culture, like there are some things that do need to be accounted for that were said way in the past. Like when it comes to comedy, like, and this is like an old example, but when it comes to comedy and cancel culture and apologizing, the 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 issue that I first come up with is Eddie Murphy's Delirious. And I do not know if Eddie Murphy has apologized for what I said, but any any oh Jesus, Eddie Murphy's Delirious is like a stand-up special that made Eddie Murphy like propel into fame. And I remember this was pretty recent, like two years ago. My dad was like, have you seen Eddie Murphy's Delirious? I said, no. And he put it on and we watched it together. You know, a good father-son moment. And I had heard of Eddie Murphy's Delirious, but I never really seeked it out. I never watched it. So my dad put it on. And the first thing Eddie Murphy says in that special that propelled him to higher heights, propelled him to superstardom, is a bunch of homophobia. Like, literally, just, like, he starts his special with, like, homophobia after homophobia after homophobia. And I don't know if Eddie Murphy has addressed this or apologized for it. But I think from what he said in that special, like, that's definitely, even if it was, like, 20, 25 years ago, I don't know when that shit came out. Um, But even if it was back in the day, I do think that that's something that should be apologized for. And I'm not sure if Eddie Murphy has if he has apologized, then I'll have to look at his apology and see. But that's something that I would consider still a cancelable offense 20, 25 years later if he hasn't apologized for it. And I'm not saying cancel Eddie Murphy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that he should apologize for that still 20 years after the fact. That's, that's what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, cancel culture, it's, it's a tricky thing and it's like a new thing. We're still navigating it, but like people are quick to blanket cancel culture as toxic and I'm not trying to do that, but I'm also not trying to blanket everyone as being canceled with no path to redemption. Like everyone has to have, or most people, I should say, not necessarily everyone, but most people should have a path to redemption. That redemption might take years or decades or something, but a path to redemption should be, you know, plausible for a lot of people. Otherwise, people aren't going to say very many things because they're too scared of being canceled. Or at least that's how I see it anyway. And I'm not a conservative. I feel like cancel culture being toxic in Shane Gillis's case has a lot of conservative people rallying behind it. I'm not a conservative. I just think that we need to be more careful. We need to really analyze, take our knife and our fork before we cancel someone. But I think Shane Gillis is worthy of being canceled, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, speaking of Twitter, speaking of cancel culture, something happened a few days ago that was wild. And it happened between... D-Ray and Sean King. If you don't know who D-Ray and Sean King are, they're Black Lives Matter activists. They rose to prominence after Ferguson in 2015, I believe. Um, And they do a lot of work trying to 
advocate for, you know, equity and social justice, that type of thing. And a lot of their work is done through the internet, through Twitter. And recently, D-Ray, who is on one side, he posted a Medium post about Sean King basically dragging Sean King for filth. And I didn't read that post. I clicked on it and it said like 14 to 20 or whatever, however many minute read on Medium because Medium like figures out how many words you wrote and then decides how long it took. And I decided that I was going to take too long. So I didn't read it, but people, you know, D-Ray has like a million followers or whatever. So people, you know, read D-Ray's piece attacking Sean King or saying that Sean King is bad. And they ran with it. Sean King was trending. And of course, Sean King responded. And Sean King was accused of, you know, stealing money or being a grifter of sorts like fundraising and mismanaging money and not being a good activist, not being a good organizer. Sean King fired back as, you know, I think most people would try to defend themselves if the, if something like this happened. Um, and Sean King fired back. There was a back and forth on Twitter. And normally when there's a beef on Twitter, it's like between celebrities or big personalities. But a beef on Twitter between activists is really strange. <laughs> like, you don't think of activists as trying to, to fight with each other. You think of an activist that's trying to unite people for a common cause. And Sean King and D-Ray on a lot of topics have been on the same side. So the fact that they are beefing on Jack's Twitter, on Al Gore's internet, it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, But that's not really what I wanted to talk about. It was that Sean King has a wife. Um, Her name is Ray. And Sean King had his wife, or his wife hacked his Twitter or something like that. I don't know exactly why this happened, but Sean King took a day off of Twitter and had his wife take over his account with a million followers. And Sean King's wife tweeted tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet. It was like 60 minutes of straight tweets from Sean King's wife. And she wrote basically like a fucking Harry Potter book worth of tweets. And this was, it was just completely bizarre. It was like almost meltdown-y. And it got me thinking like, is this really his wife tweeting this? Because his wife tweeted exactly like Sean King tweeted. And if you've been on Twitter for a while, you know, different people have different styles of tweet or different writing styles. And Sean King's wife and Sean King have the same tweeting style, which is weird. (laughs) It makes me think that Sean King was actually tweeting masquerading as his wife. And another thing is that his wife said on the Twitter thread, which I read most of, not all of, she said that she used to have Twitter, but she left Twitter from a long time ago. Like she left Twitter. She thought Twitter wasn't a productive space. She left Twitter a long time ago. She does not mess with Twitter. But somehow she knew how to tweet and tweeted one after another after another. And like if you left Twitter like eight years ago, like Twitter is a completely different space. Like the website looks completely different than it did 
a decade ago. So you probably have some type of learning curve. And she was tweeting after tweeting after tweeting, like creating a long ass thread. It it didn't convince me that she didn't use Twitter, if that makes sense. And another thing about all this is, if you don't use Twitter, if Sean King's wife doesn't use Twitter, and Sean King still does use Twitter, how much is Sean King talking to his wife about Twitter? Because if your wife doesn't use Twitter, and she only knows you through your work and your tangible results as an activist, as a leader, as an organizer, as a father, as a husband, like, if you don't know anything about Twitter, the only thing you can glean from Twitter is from what Sean King, your husband, is telling you, right? So do they talk about Twitter at the dinner table? Is that is that what's going on? Is Sean King's activism so tied to Twitter that the only way he can talk about his work is through Twitter? Is that what's going on here? Because that is also like bizarre to me because Twitter is a good use resource. Twitter is where a lot of people get news. I get majority of my news from Twitter. I don't go on Reddit or things like that. I go on Twitter. I get links from Twitter. I see a whole bunch of trending topics from Twitter. That's how I get my news. And that's great. It's a great resource to, you know, compile news, to aggregate news. And that's fine. But Twitter only goes so far, I think, when it comes to activism. I always assume that people like Sean King, even though they tweet a lot, they were doing some type of real life work. But if your entire job is mostly on Twitter, I'm not sure exactly how effective Sean King is at fundraising or doing anything else if he's not actually, you know, pounding the proverbial pavement. And that's the only way it can make sense to me that he only talks about Twitter with his wife. Like, I talk about Twitter with people I know who follow me on Twitter. Like, I don't really talk about Twitter to people who I don't interact with on Twitter that much. Like, I might talk about something I saw on Twitter for a video or for this podcast, but I don't talk about Twitter, like, with coworkers. I don't talk about Twitter with, you know, people who don't use the platform. That doesn't, it's not going to make for a good conversation. Um, and uh, even though, like, a lot of, like, topics on this podcast or things that I see on Twitter I don't necessarily translate that to my real actual life. And I feel like Sean King might translate that to his real actual life. It's kind of like when you come home from work, maybe you have like a roommate or a girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, whatever, and you want to just talk about your day and you like had a long day at the office and you want to talk shit about people at the office. Sean King is doing that, but his office is the internet. His office is an iPhone. And that's what's going on here. Um, but anyway, Sean King is it's sort of related to cancel culture as well. But people have been turning on Sean King, saying he's a bad activist, saying thing they've been saying these things for a while. Like I've known people haven't liked Sean King for a while. And personally, I don't follow Sean King on Twitter. I don't follow D Ray on Twitter. And most of that is because their accounts are like just 
following those accounts is I think what leads to like sadness because there's so much bad shit going on in the world and I can only handle so much bad shit at a time. Like I remember I used to have cuz I have an iPhone and if you set your iPhone up a certain way, you can get headlines from the news. You can get the latest news headlines as a push notification to your phone. I used to have the news headlines, push notifications. I had a whole bunch of news outlets. I had a whole bunch of websites because I wanted to stay informed with the world. And what happened when I did that was I ended up just hearing about death and famine and climate change all the time. Like every news article was just about bad shit and that shit was bringing me the fuck down so i turned all that shit off and i decided i'm just gonna get my news through through twitter where i can have bad news in between like jokes about poop so that's how i like to operate and that's why i don't follow people like sean king because their accounts are mostly just just like a Harry Potter book of depression. Um, so I, I'm good. I can, I can look at your account without following you. I can see what you're doing without following you. I'm good. I don't need you on my timeline. And that, that's just how I like to operate. Um, but I don't blame people. Like Even though Sean King has had several scandals in the past, I don't blame people for still following or retweeting or supporting what Sean King is doing. I don't have a problem with that. Either whether or not you believe these accusations, that's not exactly what I'm trying to get at here. Like if you hear those accusations and you still rock with some of the stuff Sean King says, I'm not mad at you because I do think even if Sean King is a bad person, even if he is stealing money, even if he is a horrible husband and hates everyone and is secretly like this really bad guy what he's doing does have some positive effect like at the very least he's getting people involved in causes that they believe in at the very least and that is positive right like getting people active getting people to fight for what they believe in getting people to fight for change that is a positive outcome now, may, if he's taking money from those people, if he's swindling those people, if he's being like, you know, verbally harassing or abusive as he has been accused of being, that's fucked up. Get that shit out of here. But I don't blame people from like retweeting that dude's stuff or like saying this guy did something good because he does do some good stuff. But the bad shit is still in there. Like there's still like murky stuff. There's still pretty big question marks about this guy Sean King um so you have to take the good with the bad with him you don't have to rock with him you don't have to like him but I think that you can't deny that there are things that he's done that have had positive impacts even if it's just like a couple of tweets he does he has had positive impacts but he also has had negative ones the same thing goes for D-Ray I don't know exactly how many scandals D-Ray has had in his life. I can't recall a D-Ray scandal off the top of my head like I can with Sean King. That doesn't mean they don't exist. It just means I haven't heard it. But he probably has that shit too Um, somewhere. When you put yourself out there, like I'm putting myself out there right now, when you put yourself like as a public image, when you create content for the world to see, people are going to judge it. 
And if they think you're bad or they think your actions are bad, they're going to they're going to talk shit about it. So he probably has a scandal that I'm just not aware of. But um, yeah, you just got to take the good with the bad when it comes to these like activist type people. And another thing about Sean King, last thing about Sean King before I move on. Sean King is very, very fair skinned. He's very, very light skinned. And Sean King has been operating a lot on like the fact that he's mixed race, like he's white and black. But some people think that he is fully white. So there are a lot of people that think that Sean King is white and he's not mixed race at all. He's just white. And if Sean King is white, and I do not know the answer. I don't know if Sean King is mixed or not. I honestly have no fucking clue. But if Sean King is white, and all he had to do to pretend that he is black is get a black dude haircut, I I, I can't... I don't know what the fuck to say to that. Like, that's genius on Sean King's part to get access to a community just by going to a black barbershop because if you don't know sean king has a black dude haircut like google a picture of sean king and you'll see a black dude haircut so if sean king is not mixed he's a white dude with a black dude haircut that somehow got access to a community he previously was not part of because of his haircut which is insane to me but that's what's happening if he is not mixed, and I don't know if he's mixed or not, I don't know if he's lying or not, I don't know what his DNA tests say, I'm not sure what's going on there. But if he is white, and all he had to do to Rachel Dolezal people was go to a black barbershop, like, I I don't know what to say, he's scammer of the fucking century if that's what that is. Um, But anyway, let's move on. Let's move on from people who are in political realms to an actual politician. Andrew Yang. This guy, Andrew Yang. I'm sure you've been following presidential debates. I'm sure I don't need to talk to you about Andrew Yang if you live in America. If you don't live in America and you don't know about Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang is a presidential candidate. He's running for president in the United States to challenge uh, Donald Trump for the presidency. He's running as a Democrat. And he's not leading, I think, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. One of those people is probably going to be the nominee. And then you still have people like Kamala Harris, um, Beto O'Rourke, um, Julian Castro, Cory Booker, um, Tulsi Gabbard. You have those people. And I'm not going to say that I'm like following the debates closely because it's still 2019 and I'm kind of waiting to 2020. But this guy, Andrew Yang who's been in the debates, he's been gaining popularity, and he's running as a Democrat, but he's not like a socialist. He, I've heard him say something like centered capitalism, something like that, that he's running on. And he's running on a platform that would give every American adult $1,000 a month, just no questions asked. I don't know if there's taxes on that, or if it's just a straight 1000 a month, which is 12000 a year. But I follow this guy on Twitter and I follow him because if he's promising to give out 1000 a month, even if he doesn't win, he might give me $1,000 one day. So I figure it's worth a follow. Um, I'm not sure if I'm supporting him for president or not. But this guy, Andrew Yang, he it seems like 
he learned how to run for president by watching YouTube videos. And I'm not sure if anyone else has gotten that vibe, but it feels like Andrew Yang, he saw like a video on like the ideal presidential candidate and he just took that YouTube video and followed it to a T and is now running for president and gaining a lot of popularity. And his popularity seems to be mixed. There's like people on the right, like center right, people on center left, um, even some people further right and further left that's supporting him. His, his range seems to be all over. And I think that's why um, he's gaining popularity. But he's really, he's not a politician. He's like just like a regular ass billionaire. And he tweets and he talks kind of like a normal, like smart person. Um, like that's how all I can describe it. And he tweets weird shit. Like if I get more votes, I will win. Like he has like magic Johnson ass tweets. <laughs> um, but it just seems like he, it just seems like someone told him what the ideal candidate is and he just ran with it. And because he's smart enough, he was able to take that blueprint and gain some popularity with it. But my concern about Andrew Yang is he has right-wing voters. Like, there are people who are right-wing that could be persuaded to vote for Yang instead of Trump in 2020, which would be helpful in defeating Trump, right? But if he is a nominee and he's pulling from Trump voters, he could beat Trump. That seems pretty pretty logical to me. Um, but if you're appealing to the Trump voters... If you're appealing to like these right wing ideologies, me as a left wing person, is this the person that I want for president? Question mark. Like if I want a Democratic president, if I'm always going to vote for a Democratic president, do I want the Democratic president that's almost a Republican or do I want the Democratic president that's completely Democratic and has no chance of getting the Trump voters, but hopes to get a little bit of those middle-of-the-road voters to win? Or do I want the president who is a Democrat because he calls himself a Democrat, but is really more in the middle and is going to pull from both sides and appeals to like really Trump people as well as liberal people? Is that what I want? I don't really know if that's what I want. Um... But yeah, we don't know if he'll even make it to the next round of debates or how far he'll go. I'm not sure if he's going to win. I think it's Bernie, Biden, and Warren who are like the top three. And then there's Kamala behind them. There's Mayor Pete, who I don't think has a chance to win. Um, Cory Booker, who seems to be fading fast. Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, and I think a couple people have dropped out already that didn't have a chance Um. I don't even know if Marianne Williamson is still running or Klobuchar. I don't know. But all I know is that I don't think that dude is going to win. But if he does win and he is a Democratic nominee, I would like $1,000 a month. Don't get me wrong. An extra $12,000 a year, that's fine. Sure, give that to me. But I don't know if that's the person that I want as a president. Do I want a middle of the road or a more middle of the road president? Or do I want a president that's farther on my side, but is going to antagonize the other side? Like kind of like how Trump is now, like Trump is far on the right side. And people on my side, we don't fuck with that dude at all. Is that what 
I do I want a president like that, but a Democrat, or do I want a middle of the road person? Also, and this is something I've thought of just now. If Andrew Yang is president, who is going to be in his cabinet? Because he doesn't have the connections like that. Like presidents who are like already been politicians, like they fill their cabinet with other politicians. Usually Donald Trump did things a little bit differently and he had his billionaire friends in some key spots and he has Ben Carson in like housing or some bullshit like that. But when presidents fill out their cabinet, usually they have other politicians, people who have some level of expertise in that field. Who is Andrew Yang going to put in his cabinet? He doesn't have connections like that. He's just a rich dude. Like, would he just get his other rich friends or would he try to schmooze a politician to get in the cabinet? Like, for me, like, the way I see the, the Democratic Party in the future is either Bernie Biden or Warren is going to get the nominee. And then, after that, we need the people who are Democratic candidates So. The former presidential candidates, we need them to still help the cause. We need them to be like either in Congress or in the cabinet or something like that so that we can all work together and try to reverse some of this Trump bullshit that's going on. Um, but yeah, I think that's the the best way to go in the future. Um, because, you know, Trump isn't good. And I think the best case scenario for Trump is kind of what ha- what's happening like someone who's like kind of ridiculous but largely ineffective um and I think Trump has done some things that are effective like not effective as in they're good effective as in they had an effect but like we still don't have a wall we still don't have a couple of other things that he promised so um that's I think that's sort of a best case scenario but we could have our best case scenario which is working together to fix all the shit that he did. Um, but yeah, enough about that serious talk. Because I'm not an expert on politics. I'm not, I never claimed to be. I took one political science class and that's it. Um, but I don't want to be completely serious, but we have to talk about Justin Trudeau as well. And if I'm not an American political science expert, I'm definitely not a Canadian political science expert. I just have one quick hit on on Trudeau. Justin Trudeau got caught, or he had a lot of old pictures of him in like brown face and black face have surfaced. And we all know that shit is racist. Even in Canada, they have a concept of racism over there. We know that shit is racist, especially in Canada, which like the South Asian um, population is pretty significant. And you are brown facing as like Aladdin or something like, yeah, not a good look. My question to the Canadians, and I'm not an expert on Canadian politics, I do know that like Canada doesn't have a hard two-party system like America does. Like the third parties in Canada have a little bit more weight, um, but they're still like left-wing and right-wing at the end of the day. My question for Canadians, Justin Trudeau has shown that he isn't perfect. He's shown that he's done racist shit in the past. My question is, if that's enough to take your vote away, if you no longer want to vote for Trudeau because of bad shit that he's done in his past, 
are you really going to vote for the conservatives or whatever they call Republicans in Canada? Is that what you're going to do? Because whatever Trudeau is doing, I have to imagine that the the conservatives are a whole lot worse. <laughs> like, if you don't like what Trudeau's policies are on whatever, and I know that he's been kind of wishy-washy on some climate change shit and some political shit. I don't know exactly, but he's been kind of wishy-washy on some of those issues. But if you don't vote for Trudeau, you're going to be in a shit show, right? Like, at least Trudeau, he's very Canadian in the fact that he apologizes for his actions. Whenever he fucks up, he seems to apologize. He seems to genuinely mean that. And if you're working to be a good, better person, that's fine. But if you're, if the deal breaker was the brown face, black face, are you really going to vote for a conservative who's going to be diametrically opposed to you? I think even after this scandal, I still think you have to vote for Trudeau if you're in that party, right? Like, no matter what, you don't want the conservatives to do shit that you don't want. So if you're a liberal in Canada, I think you still have to vote for Trudeau, even if he's done bad shit in the past. Um, At least that's the way I see it. Um, yeah, that's just my question to Canada. Are you still rocking with Trudeau? Or are you really going to switch up parties like that? I think you still have to vote for Trudeau if you're in that party. Um, but anyway, moving moving right along. Let's talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that's sports. Um, football season is starting. Baseball playoffs are almost underway. Um, my San Francisco Giants are not going to the playoffs, but... Bruce Bochy, our manager, got 2,000 wins for his career, and he's probably going to the Hall of Fame, so that's good. But football. I have been distancing myself from football for a couple years now. Mostly it's because of injuries, and I don't really like injuries as much as I used to. Like I don't like watching injuries. I don't like how they constantly have replays of injuries, and I don't like just... a certain aspects of football that make me uncomfortable as I've gotten older like as I've had surgery in my life as these things have happened like seeing players like break their arms and legs like I just I don't like that shit really um but I still watch from time to time and I still root for the Raiders my Oakland Raiders um and I still watch you know Monday Night Football like I still like the shit I just don't like it as much as I used to um and I've been watching and following other sports like I've been following hockey more been following tennis more like I watched that Naomi Osaka Coco Golf match I've been watching National Women's Soccer League like I've been I've been dabbling in other sports um but football like the games I've watched in football this year like I didn't realize how boring football can be like the first game of the NFL season was shit in terms of content wise like that was a boring ass game and when defense takes over a game and offense doesn't score any points like maybe like the nerds like that shit but I don't like that at all like that was a boring game you need some type of offense that's why you know Patrick Mahomes who is on the dreaded Kansas City Chief arrival of the Raiders he's so exciting people like Deshaun Watson are exciting even though 
his career might be cut short because he's taking a lot of hits. Cam Newton isn't looking like he used to be because he's taking a lot of hits. So we'll see. But those people are still exciting and those people make football fun. But like this defensive game, like the first game in the NFL season was incomplete passing holding calls. That's basically what it was. And that shit is boring as fuck. Like football at its greatest, at its best, is exciting. And I think that football is fascinating in ways that I don't understand. Like in terms of like scheme and like creating plays and designing routes and, you know, play action and defensive schemes and all that stuff. All that stuff is fascinating and I am not nearly informed enough to give you complex takes on scheme but when it comes to like a product where it's just like teams are score it's like 10 to 3 no I'm I don't really like that that much it's you got to have something exciting to keep me into it otherwise I'm just gonna fall asleep and that's where I'm at with football right now like I still like it but football can really get dry and stale and it's the number one sport in America but like should it be like really should it be like if we really think about it like should it be like I find that like when I say football is fascinating in terms of scheme like I found that I like listening to people talk to football or talk about football almost as much as I like football like nowadays like that didn't used to be the case but now like as I'm consuming more like content and stuff like that I like listening to people talk about football almost as much as the actual football, which I think is not a good look for the actual content that football produces. Um, And it's really just for people who are smarter than me in that subject. Um, And while I'm on football, I have to talk about Antonio Brown because he was very briefly on my favorite team. Um, And this whole Antonio Brown thing is hard to talk about because it was funny until it became serious and not funny. Um, And I want to say, like, before the allegations against Antonio Brown came up, I just want to say that when he left the Raiders, I didn't hate him. Even though he was on my team and he left, I didn't hate him. Because at the end of the day, football is dangerous and you have to protect yourself. So I'm not going to hate on a player for holding out in football. I'm not going to hate on a player for trying to be as safe as possible and maximizing their money, I'm not going to hate on a football player for doing that ever. Um, But I did think he was rather unreliable. So he went to the Patriots and I'm like, you got to be careful about this guy's reliability because you can tell him to do one thing and he'll do something that's not opposite. It's not like you tell him to do something and he'll do the opposite because that actually has some type of logic You'll tell him to do something and he'll do something completely out of left field that has no seeming logic at all. Um, and that's just how he's operating right now. And you, that per, a person like that is not reliable. Um, but I didn't hate him at all. And then the allegations came. And the allegations are, you know, being taken seriously. And I think there is like the NFL is looking into it, but he's still allowed to play because There's no formal charges or anything like that. He hasn't been arrested or anything like that. I just wanted to say, 
because people are saying that like allegations of like domestic abuse or like sexual assault are are perfectly timed because they came out as the football season was coming out. And I just wanted to say this is something that I'm thinking about and you may or may not agree or this may not be an original take, but if Antonio Brown did do these things, I know we're talking innocent to, until proven guilty, but if Antonio Brown is guilty of sexual assault, domestic abuse, whatever, and he did those things to you, and you hear about him in the news every day because of his antics with the Raiders, because of his antics with the Steelers, because he moved to the Patriots, because everybody is talking about them in sports and not sports. Everyone is talking about Antonio Brown. On Twitter, you're seeing it. On Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, you're seeing Antonio Brown. And you know that Antonio Brown had did these horrible things to you. And you just can't take it anymore. So you have to say, he did this to me. I have to go to the authorities about it because I keep hearing about him and keeping that inside is going to be bad for me mentally. I'm not sure if I articulated that well, but if you see someone everywhere who did you wrong and everyone is talking about them, praising them or bagging on them, that has to have some type of toll on you mentally just to keep that inside. So I don't, I'm not going to say, oh, this is convenient timing when it comes to a report like this. I think you should take it seriously because I just feel like if you hear about him all the time and you, he did these bad things to you, you're going to want to tell someone, even if it's not like the authorities, you're going to want to tell someone that he did these things to me because he's a bad person or he did something wrong or he broke the law or anything like that. You're going to want to tell someone about that because you keep hearing about this all the time and keeping that bottled up in you can't be good for you. That That's bad energy. That can't be good for you. Um, That's all I really have to say about that. I, I wouldn't say it's She's doing it just because the the season started. That Yeah, that's all. Um, but anyway, before I go, I have a couple of things to talk about. First is game shows, particularly Family Feud and Anthony Anderson's show where he tries to spot a liar. I don't know what Anthony Anderson's show is called, specifically but it's like three people and two of them are lying one of them is telling the truth you're trying to find the person who tells the truth i just want to know why do game shows have to be horny why do game shows have to be sexual because family feud is probably the horniest show on television like, Family Feud seems wholesome. Like, you have families, they're competing against each other. You have mom, dad, kids, grandma, all competing against each other. But Family Feud has the most sexual questions. And even the questions that aren't sexual become sexual. And Steve Harvey, who's kind of like, at least how I see him, Steve Harvey's like a somewhat traditional guy, like, in terms of, like, relationships and stuff. Even though I think his daughter is dating Diddy, which is weird. But, and they come up with these sexual questions and these families give these sexual answers. And it's like, Family Feud doesn't need to be this way. You don't need to have this horny question in this competition between families. 
I don't know exactly why they're putting sexual questions in the the show. Like it would be like because Family Feud, they like do surveys and you try to guess the top answer of the survey. And it would be like, what is the most attractive body part on a man or woman? And then you have to say like boobs and butt and shit like that. Like you don't need to do. And I'm not someone who's like prude or anything. I've done a podcast episode about pornography. I'm not and I'm not a saint or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that for this show specifically, which is about families competing against each other and being with your family. Why does that show need to be sexual at all? Am, am I tripping here? Am I in the wrong here? I'm not sure. The second one, Anthony Anderson, in his show that I don't know the name of, Anthony Anderson has his mom on the show and his mom makes the most sexual comments in the world. I've only seen like a couple episodes of Anthony Anderson's show, but like every single one, I've seen like five maybe, and every single one had a sexual comment from Anthony Anderson's mom. Why? Why? I'm not saying Anthony Anderson's mom can't be on there and she has like sort of like a a George Lopez and his mom relationship where like George Lopez's mom on the George Lopez show will like make fun of George. Like she has kind of that dynamic on the show, but then she'll have like the sexual comments that I just don't think have much of a play. It's funny. I'll give it that on family feud and on Anthony Anderson's show. It is funny, but there is no need for that on a game show, at least not this type of game show, or at least that's what I'm thinking. Like, why are these shows so horny? These are game shows. Like, is Wheel of Fortune or, like, The Price is Right horny? No. Why are these shows injecting sex into everything? I don't I don't get it. Other shows can be sexual. That's fine. But Family Feud? Why is Family Feud sexual? That doesn't make any sense to me. It's like if the Great British Baking Show, which does have some crude humor... But if it's like if the Great British Breaking Show asks you to make an ass cake or like a breast cake, that's what it would be like. Um, if you don't know, the Great British Breaking Show, very good on Netflix. Watch that. I've been watching that. Very relaxing. Um, but yeah, that's I'm just I just don't get it. Um, also, quick rest in peace to Jeremy Renner's app. I'm still asking Jeremy Renner to bring that back. Um, that's all. But. Last thing I want to talk about is coffee dates. Because I saw on the internet that coffee dates are apparently bad. Like, I saw a tweet that was like, a man asked a woman on a first date to a coffee shop, and she said, no, I don't do coffee dates because coffee dates are stupid, essentially. And eventually the man asked him to a proper restaurant for a first date. And I think that part of me is like... When I saw that, I was like, why are coffee dates bad? Like, I was kind of taken aback by the, the thought of a coffee date being bad. But I think part of that is me being young. Um, but the woman said that going on coffee dates is a way for men to save money on a date. And I've never thought of it that way. And I'm not an expert on romance. I'm not an expert on dating. I'm not an expert on anything, really. Um, but... I just felt that a coffee date is something that's low-key, casual, it's public, it's not super intimate. So you can get to see if you actually like someone or not. You can see 
if they like pumpkin spice lattes or mocha frappuccinos. You can see if they like pastries or if they don't. You can see, you can have a good conversation. And if it's not a good conversation, if it's not a good date, you still got coffee and it didn't do much to you. You just hung out at a coffee shop and you can, you know, use the Wi-Fi or whatever. It's a low risk date. But what people were saying is that people go on coffee date men specifically ask women on coffee dates because they're cheap and i've never thought of it that way i've always thought of it as just like oh this is low-key no pressure for her no pressure for me we're just getting coffee i don't even drink fucking coffee i drink tea but it's just a low-key thing like i wouldn't ask you to ruth's chris if i don't know you that like that like if we just met like a couple of times we're, you know, DMing on Instagram, we're, you know, replying to our Instagram stories and like sending hearts and shit like that. Coffee seems like a low-key thing to see, do I like you as much in real life as I do on Instagram? Um, But I don't know. I just felt like that was a little bit weird. Maybe my mindset is off and maybe men are doing this to lowball women, but I never thought of it that way. Coffee shops or like any other type of coffee shop type date i just thought was low-key first date if it doesn't go well we never see each other again and it was just we hung out at a coffee shop it's not like i took you to a first date at mcdonald's like then i could see like this is kind of weird or like a first date to like panda express or something like i wouldn't do that because that's just not the environment i want but a coffee shop is like there's lots of people around and there's you know lots of things going on but it still like has some element of romance to it like there's still some romantic atmosphere to a coffee shop even if it's just a starbucks chain there's still a little bit of romance to it and they play like those soft you know acoustic music or whatever but for me i'm not i don't for if i don't know you that well it's a stretch to be like let's go to ruth's chris or flemings or something on the on our first like real life interaction truly um but maybe that's just me i don't know um and i'm young i'm only 24 so maybe i'm just being stupid but that's just what it seemed like to me is like it seemed to be like you're see you're seeing men as lowballing you but really it's just this is low-key and there's not as much pressure on anyone at a coffee shop as it is at like a steakhouse or whatever but Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like an odd debate to me. Like I woke up, I got on Twitter and all of a sudden coffee dates are bad. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And people were on my point of view and other point of views. But yeah, it just seemed weird to me. Um, But that's all I really had to talk about today. And we have gone for a little more than an hour, which is really, really nice for me. All gas, no brakes. Um, so I'm gonna wrap it up there. Thank you for watching or listening or paying attention or listening to this in your car or while you do dishes or whatever the fuck you do. Um, thank you. I appreciate you truly, especially if you are a loyal listener and you have been waiting for weeks for me to update you. Um, thanks for, thanks for waiting. Thanks for being patient with me. Thank you for understanding. I really do appreciate that. Um, if you're new, you know, like, and subscribe or whatever. I don't, I don't know what to say about that, but yeah, 
I appreciate you if you're new too. That means that you actively so sought me out to to listen to, and you listen for an hour, which is great. So if you're new, thanks. I appreciate you too. Um, yeah, love you. Please be safe. Um, have a good day or night. Goodbye. Thanks again. I love you. I really mean it. Bye.